defining true greatness. Uh, if you'll turn in John chapter 13. I don't know if I'm going to get through all this message this morning. So if I have to, I'll carry it on until next week. Add to it or whatever. That's all right. Father, I just want to praise you. Thank you, Lord. I love the privilege of being yours. Of all the things, Lord, that has purpose and, and real meaning to it. Being called of God, Lord, can, can, uh, can be compared to nothing else in, in my life. Being called by you, Lord, is the most important thing there is for me personally. And God, I believe that there it sustained the same attitude and the same mind with everybody in this place. Lord, I believe that there is a sense in every one of our heart that God, no matter where we are, no matter what our struggle is, even if, Lord, at the moment we're backsliding, there's still something that resides there and said, I can't get over this God that's touched me, this God who's called me, this God who created me and gave me life and breath. Lord, I don't know what the, the days ahead of us look like, but I do believe, Lord, if you could put in us one heart and one mind, Lord, if you could build in us not just a pastoral ministry in any way, but Lord, this is a body ministry of people who come together of one mind and one heart. Lord, if you could build in us a heart of commitment and love to you and a devotion that in everything we do belongs to you, then Jesus, we will never struggle to have the Spirit and the Holy Spirit at work in the, in the manifestation of your presence in our meetings. Because God, we're enjoined at heart to you. We're committed in every way. And so Lord, I don't know what needs to happen today so that we understand what that message means, God. I don't know if there's something more that, if, if how important it is, the enormity of it. But I do know this, God, that in just a moment, the Holy Spirit can do things in this body and among us just in a second that no man can do, Lord. If you just left me to my ability to minister to the hearts and the minds of the folks here, I couldn't do it. But Lord, I do know this, that when you come in in the power of your presence, ministers, the Lord, that I can say few words, and Lord, you will do everything that we need done today. And we, we ask you, Lord, to have a grip on us, Lord, and bring us together, Lord, and help us fight as a team of people, Lord, who are truly your disciples today. And we love, Lord, what you're about to do, God. And we're looking forward to what is ahead of us. And we're thanking for you for what you've already done behind us. Thank you today, Lord, and I pray you'll minister your word and anoint everything said. And anoint it in such a way that our hearts take it home today. Oh, Jesus, that our hearts take it home today. That, Lord, that we don't miss, Lord, the message to our personal lives and as a body of people. And I love you, Jesus. Because I know, Lord, this is what your design was. And I'm just getting on, on uh, base with you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Defining true greatness. I feel like there's, there's a, 
there's a side where my heart focus has been personal growth, and and, and the other side to that is is discipleship. But as I'm going along in this, and I'm thinking about this personal growth and the message that Jesus would have for us, I'm praying that in the moment that this message is God's message to your heart. And I can't help but feel God's wanting to put us together. And what I'm saying is not that we're not together. Not that we're not collaborated. Those of you who are in this building, I share a special relationship. I think I can say, honestly, for the most part, every person in this building. I can say that it hasn't just been a passing by relationship, but in many ways it's felt like it's been deeper and committed. And along with that, I feel like when we look at church culture, we can look at it in how big is our church, how many numbers do we have, or we can look at it how deeply connected are the people in our churches. How much do we feel um, like our lives are invested in one another? And I feel like that God wants to take us to the next place. I think God wants to move us in the direction that we haven't been yet, but will be. And while I'm saying that, I feel like this message has to do with that in its heart. If you're asking, what's the heart of what you're saying today, James? I would tell you is, the heart of what I'm saying is there's something that God wants to do in putting us together. I don't give a care. And I'm just going to say this with all my heart. I don't give a care what's happening in our world. I give a care what's happening in our churches. I want to see our world changed. But what means the most to me is that sometimes when we see things get difficult, that's when, when we call ourselves family, it's now the defining moment. And the world around us, and I thank God in His sovereignty, and remember that He's sovereign. As much as we think, I'm going to have a political sway in the way that the world runs, And that's not to say that we don't vote or that we shouldn't. But God in His sovereignty works through those votes and beyond those votes. But the reality is that God in His sovereignty is allowing the world to be in the condition that it is in in the moment. Because I think this is the moment when our best hour is about to appear if we'll listen to what God wants. And I'm certain that we can no longer carry out life anymore trying to figure out how to make ends meet for ourselves and our own family. We have got to learn how to cooperate together to help meet the needs of others. We have got to find a way to do little parts and pieces. The busyness of life and the schedules, as crazy as they are, I think that we're pointing at the fact that everybody gives a little piece and we make a huge impact by even little efforts of the majority of us. Let me share with you a few thoughts on this. Let's look in. John chapter 13. That's just my my heart to you this morning. If you didn't hear anything, if you didn't get this message, if you fell asleep during the sermon, I just want to say, I hope you got the heart of it. Because that's really what we're about anyway. We're trying to deliver the heart of what God wants. What I see God doing. I Every time, as I told you, I sit in, in, in a group of people. I sit with one person. And I feel over and over again, this heart message of, we belong together. And we have to share life in a very deeper sense. We have, to let, we have to learn to be the church. And it's not easily broken. When we become the church that Jesus wants us to be, we can't be easily divided. There's something about what God does in joining us together that you can't divide me. In a sense, when we came under the blood of Jesus, we married the body of Christ. 
You don't divorce the people of God. I didn't put that in my notes. You might want to write that one down. Okay, let's look into John chapter 13. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but I am going to read a good portion of it. And let's start at verses 1 through 7. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father... Again, let me, let me just stop for a minute. For those of you who are wondering what version I'm in, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version, at least this portion of Scripture. The rest of it will probably be in the New King James, for the most part. I'll, I'll try and share that with you as I do. Just something I've been noticing. People have been mentioning it to me. Okay, back to where we were. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, verse 3, and that he had come forth from God and that was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, no, so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Let's also read here in verses 12 through 17. So I'm just skipping a little portion of it because I feel like I'm just trying to keep a context here. 12 through 17 here. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Lastly, look with me here in verses 31 through 35. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, and God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I just want to emphasize that last verse. Isaac, you might turn me down just a little bit. 
By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. This is how the world knows. This is how they figure it out. There's a point in which doctrine is it's important. It has its part and its play. But really, it's, can we see that the magnitude of which God loves through His people is greater than anything anybody else has known? And they see the reality of who Christ is and what Jesus intended through the love that we have for one another. So here's a few thoughts. Here's my first point is, in reading this, I see this. Greatness is measured by humility. Greatness is measured by humility. God's up is down. That's the way He works it. Is His up is down. So the learn if we want to get closer to Him, we have to learn to come down. It's not the way the world teaches us. It's not the way everything is organized. You've got to figure out how to come up by getting more and, and being more prominent and more known and a greater name. And the greater name you have, then that's the world. But God's world is topsy-turvy to anything that we know in ours. And so He calls us to go down. Another thought behind that is promotion should not be viewed as elevation. I think this is so important. Our advancements should be viewed as means to care for a greater number of people. You know, it was just uh, July that I was elected to be here as a pastor for you guys. And I have a new vantage point that I didn't have before. And one, I, I get to know more, but the bigger vantage point is, is that I could sit in, in my chair, or you might call it a pew if you want to, I could sit there and I had the potential to ignore more because I didn't have a position to have more authority, more placement of leadership, more expectation, so to speak. But now I'm in a place that there's more on me, but there's more available to me. And I want to use every resource available to love you guys back. I want to be every resource available to help you along the path that God has given as a part of His calling to the corporate body of Christ. That you're not alone. It's not your individual life. It's your life mingled with God's divine purpose. And I want to be a part of that in every way that I can. I want to get better at this. There's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of ways that I feel like I'm not sufficient. But I've learned something. God starts with the heart. He doesn't start with the ability. And it's amazing what God does along the path. I've had some amazing things happen to me in these last few months. When it comes to communication, when it comes to vision, when it comes to leadership when it comes to a lot of things that I have never experienced yet before in my life, there is some major changes happening in me. And while that's happening on the background, you're like, well, there's this one guy, I remember him before, and now you're saying this, this is changing. And so it is happening. And I'm grateful because God is giving me things to do, not just things to believe. And along the path, I'm trusting Him to develop it in me, get wiser and better at what I do. So anyway, I think that every time God advances you, Anywhere you are, I don't care if it's your place of employment, and for most of us, that's where it's going to be. Your place of as you advance, as you have more authority in where you're at, remember that God's designing that for His kingdom, interests, and purpose. This, you know, in, in the background, it blesses us financially, but oftentimes, even the extra financial blessings that we gain are still with God's design behind it. Isn't it great that sometimes our, our lifestyle doesn't improve? but our ability to touch lives does. But that's humility, because humility says, I'm not looking to make myself greater or become better. 
because I have a higher position. I remember one time when I was in Bible school, my roommate had, um, we were coming into our third year, and um, I was the class president. I don't know how that happened. That was kind of weird, but just kind of like. But anyway, we'd, we'd been three years, and he, had, he, had, he tried to get me to use, I felt like at least for me, use my place of prominence, so to speak, in the student body to gain the best room. And he didn't just want, for, for us in the dorms, it was the corner rooms that were like the big things. But the efficiency apartments was for the in, interns. That wasn't even available to students. And he still wanted me to push the note and gain that somehow. Well, I didn't do that. I said, you know what, I'd really take room six. That was the most miserable room I know of in this whole place. And let everybody else get their first pick. And, he's, and then I, I had one other guy that I wanted to be my roommate. And I never told him, I never said to him, I would like for you to be my roommate. Never even mentioned the idea to anybody that I know of. I just had it in the secret of my own heart. And um, we left, we went home for the summer, we came back. And when we came back to school, we were looking for where our room was and who we were rooming with. Well, he, he wanted me to room with him again that year, and he never showed up. So now I'm like, who's my roommate? Let me tell you what it took place. In that moment, I'm looking, and it's like my roommate is the very guy that I never said anything to. Out of 52 guys, the one guy that I never said anything to, that was the guy I got to have as a roommate. And that efficiency apartment that there was no way that any student was getting, somehow we got put in the efficiency apartment. What I realized there was this, is that God wants to raise up a people with some authority behind if you're his son and his daughter. There's a purpose that God raises us up. I had guys ask me, how did you do this? I didn't do this. And I don't want to boast about it. I don't want to brag about it. I really want to begin to reflect on why would God do something like that in my situation in life? And sometimes it was just because more guys wanted to come to the room because they wanted to hang out for a little bit longer. That just gave me more time to talk to them. Realize that God wants to reach people. He's not really about making your life more sweeter. I think it always is. I think in integrity is always the sweetness of life. Not what we have, but what's inside of us. God wants to raise the lowly to prominence because he knows that they won't forget where they came from. I believe in that. He likes to take us from the dust and the darkness and he pulls us up out of that because we will relate to people who are in it still and we'll never forget it. We'll quit trying to let people look at us as high and mighty and we'll always want them to remember us where we were and we'll treat them from where we remember what it was like. Here in Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 through 12, this is the New King James Version. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. I love that. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a pattern we see over and over again in the Scripture. But it's not just left there for the Bible, it's for us. It's a pattern that God has given us for our own lives. So just ask yourself, is there a place where it's like, if I would just, what would happen if I humbled myself with this person in this situation? I wonder what would take place. So here's a few thoughts that go with that. Their wealth, so we remember where we came from. God exalts the lowly. 
because their wealth will never be used merely for personal ease and pleasure. That's not their design. Secondly, God can put anything into your hands and it will not produce corruption. See, when God has taken you from nothing and given you everything that He intended for you to have without being too much to destroy you, the whole purpose behind it is, is that you would use it and not let it go to corruption. So for me, you know, like we've grown up for the most part, I've spent most of my time really not having much for money. I've never really produced a whole lot in life. But I tell you, when I get it, I want to give it. I don't want to just hoard it. I don't want it to just go to another improvement of my own, of something that's going to perish. I want to see it actually produce something for eternal value. The higher they go, the more they will do to elevate others above themselves. It's sweet to actually be in a position where you have an authority and you can take somebody else. You're like, you didn't actually think that I would do this, but I do. I want to elevate you to a place that's above my own if I could. I'm not looking for to have a name. I'm looking to make people who, other than me, I want you to have a name. I would rather see people speak highly of you than speak well of me. I think that's a part of leadership. I think that's a part of God raising up leaders to find somebody that they can elevate above themselves. So here we have in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Jesus. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Could we just stop there? I mean, if, if I just ended the service at that point, could we just stop? And let your mind, your thoughts be on others. To esteem them. To think highly of them. When we see somebody in a place of need, are we thinking, is there anything that I can do? So we remember that when God raises up the lowly in places of prominence, he will not, they will not be corrupted by bitterness or by betrayal because they started as nothing. Remember, we started as nothing. So I don't have to be corrupted by the things around me, the betrayal or even the bitterness of other people because that's where I was. I can go back and reflect on my life and realize that my character was out of whack, the way that I thought of other people. The selfishness was such a prominent part of my life that because of that, having been dug out of that and come out of it, I can always remember where I came from. And so that helps me keep from letting the sting of what somebody else says against me because I, you know, I'm not a king, I'm not a lord. That can be actually really useful remembering that it, because of where I came from. Same for you. Humility rarely keeps us from prominence. I just thought about this because I was thinking it, it seems like humility is us trying to find a way away from being recognized, leadership, management, or any of those things. But actually, I believe that humility is what prepares us for it. See, God doesn't want anybody else in the position except for those who can actually rely on Him and follow Him. So then you have people in position that are their, their character is not really up to that place. Now, I'm not saying everybody gets that, but I find that God likes to take the person who least likely and least esteems himself as being of 
of any value in leadership or management or anything of the sort. And he finds a way in the humility of life to bring you up. Because what ushers in real greatness is humility. If you can stay humble, you can remain great without it being corrupted. And so we shouldn't be praying against greatness or even against prominence necessarily. We should be praying against pride. We should be praying, Lord, don't let me fall to pride. And and most of us probably won't go. Many of us won't even begin to urge or move into the place where here's an opening for leadership or something of the sort because we don't feel like we're humble enough. We, We recognize our weaknesses in those areas. It is not a great name that we should fear, but it is pride of thinking we are great because of our name. You know, here you have the story of Joseph. You have the story of David. And these men, and it seemed like to be able to hold on and to be able to manage the people under them well, they had to remain consistent with God and humble. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 23, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. That's what God said. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Isn't that my message this morning? And I will curse him who curses you, and in all your all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm raising you a great name so that I can bless people underneath you. God isn't raising us up for any other purpose but to bless the people underneath us. I am grateful if this is where God has me, I am grateful if He'll just continue to demonstrate that through me. I love you guys. I do. I, uh, my greatest burden is I want to spend more time. I want to jump outside of this physical body that seems to have too many limitations. And I want more time with the people that I love. Here's my next point. What I see in this, this chapter, John chapter 13, I believe that we see this also. Love is not just felt, it's dealt. That's the way I put it. Love is not just felt, it's dealt. Here's a few scriptures that I want to go with that. In John chapter uh, 13, verse 35, this is the New King James. By this all will know that you are my disciples. This is a repeat of what we read earlier. If you have love for one another. Now also look in, in 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 18. Let's look at that one. Love is not just felt, it's dealt. 1 John chapter 3, this is New King James as well, so if you're looking it up on a device of some sort. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So you see here he's given this understanding, and I think we all get a picture of it. I don't think there's anybody in this place that I can say, I don't see you loving indeed. 
where there's an opportunity to give of your time, take of your Take of time where you could be resting and giving it to somebody else. Taking time where you should be, well, you could be helping somebody else and taking a rest so you can actually be available for people. Sometimes we need to do that too. Just remember, sometimes you need to rest so you can be available for others. You know, when you get in an airplane, they tell you when the masks fall down. How many of you have been in an airplane and had masks fall down? I'm just kind of interested to know if that's the case. Okay. So we have one person that's had that experience, and they say, secure your mask first. Why do they tell you that? Because they're like trying to produce this idea of selfishness and make sure to take care of yourself first. No, they're saying that because so that way you can manage well to take care of somebody else. When you run out of air, it doesn't take long before you can't help anybody else. And I think that that's strategic to what we're seeing here. Make sure that in many ways that we're there available for people, but we're also making sure that we have the necessary care we need in order that we can be available for somebody else. If we're struggling in our marriages, let's not just try and find a way to help others. Let's find a way to be make things work at home. If we're struggling with our kids, we want to be able to work well with our children, and we need you to support us, or I need to support you. Either way, but we need that to be well so that we can be good where we're at in in, uh, the environment around us. But no matter how we look at it, the idea is still without selfishness attached. I remember this was said to me a while back, and it was this. Self-care is not selfish. How many of you got stuck in the pattern of believing that trying to take care of yourself is actually selfish? I believe probably most of us have been there at some point in our life. We're like, yeah, trying to make sure that I'm taking care of me is the kind of last thing on the list. But it's actually not selfish and it's important. But while we're taking care of ourselves, we're not nourishing ourselves for the sake of ourselves. We're nourishing ourselves for the sake of the people that we care for. Especially if God's given you a place of prominence. Oh, do you need that? So at some point, I expect that some of you will say to me, Pastor, you need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of yourself. It's important. To love really, to love truly, is to work and to work hard. (laughs) Love is the work of selfless giving. Love is joyous labor of endless sacrifice. Love is the work of thousands of unacknowledged, unacclaimed good deeds. It's the work of all of it. The things that you guys have done, what you've put yourself into, how many people that you've been there for when you could. I remember one time um, there's there's a gentleman that would run out of gas every now and then. And this happened to be run out of gas right in front of my house. It was perfect. It worked out great. I was able to take care of his need. But all I'm re- the reason I'm saying that is because I realize that's been your feet. But rejoice for how God has used your hands and equipped you to touch lives. What am I seeing? Okay, so this is going to come to work, what I'm noticing right now. Like in our life world as it is, what am I seeing? I'm seeing churches shutting down. I'm seeing ministries, ministries shrinking. Massively shrinking. I'm also seeing at the same time a large number of people that are fellowship hungry. I see that. Whatever's going on, I see still people that are longing to have 
still people in their lives. I am seeing ministers shrink back because programs are not working anymore. We can't maintain programs. We don't have enough people or we don't have enough resources. We can't do it. Money isn't making the ministry what it used to be. It's just a true fact. The way things are right in the moment. So now we have one other thing that we want to remember is, and I'm seeing Christians cutting back on luxury because finances are diminishing. So because we don't have the same finances and we don't have the same abilities, we're seeing things, people cut back on things we used to be able to enjoy. I see a need to collaborate strength and resources to keep from overburdening any one person. And I mean that, that there is no way that we can keep doing this the way we used to do it. We used to do it that a lot of resources and are available to any one or two particular people, and they did the majority of the work because they had the resources. But what we realize is we all have limited resources, and we take a piece of the limited resource, and we work together with that. That's where we need to be. If I'm seeing anything, I see that need is to bring our resources together. A little bit of time here and there. Not any one person trying to give so much. And I see a lot of people still giving so much that need to be, be able to be a part of the team where we give a little bit with each person. And in um, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 30 and 34 and 35, we read this. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had everything in common, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they were distributed to each as everyone had need. These are the days we're starting to come into is where people are going to come into severity of need and our excess will need to be sold to provide for needs of others, not just the needs of our own home. And as a church, we're the only ones in this world are in position to be able to do this well. So I see the deficiencies in character and Christian character surfacing through pressure. We're under pressure, and now some of our character traits have been kind of buried under the surface. Now these are starting to surface. We're seeing more struggle in many circles relationally than we've ever seen before. So what what do we need? What do I think we need? I would say this. We need to stop thinking mainly about personal ministry. What's my personal ministry? And we need to start thinking about how can we connect with other people and make this ministry work together. How can we do this? We can't spend all of our time trying to figure out how to do it individually. Now, I believe there's individual parts, and that's important. But when we think of it, this, the church was to function, not just as individually. Here's what I'm doing over here. Here's what I'm doing. But how can we work together? Now, I don't believe that there isn't a place for uh, personal ministry. I just believe that we're not emphasizing it. I believe right now this is not the time you can. You don't have the resources to have a personal ministry. You don't have it all on your own. But if personal ministry looks more like, what are we doing with other people? I believe in that. Learn to work together. I think that's been the problem we've had for a long time. We need seasons of concentrated effort to cover various areas of ministry. 
seasons. The reason I use seasons is because what I've noticed is this, is that if we take something and we say this is going to be, we don't have a time frame on it. We're just going to keep having um, this Bible study with so-and-so. We're going to keep doing this meeting over and over again. People don't grow because we keep teaching. That's the truth. I don't grow because you keep teaching me. I grow when you've taught me what I need to know and I put it in practice. And it's exactly what Jesus said. He said, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. So this is pretty powerful when I release you for a season and I see if there's fruitfulness after that season. Because that's what ministry should be. I have a season of ministry and we all go through that. We all have different times when it ends, not because we intended it to, but because something happened. And that season ended. So we had the Bible study with somebody. Now we're releasing them and saying, hey, grow a little bit. Because the last thing on earth is I need inundated with teaching that I don't put in practicality. And to put it in practice takes time. Like I remember we were uh, playing guitar and Micah was teaching us. And I was learning some of the techniques of guitar. And I was doing okay with it for the time. But I realized something. You can teach me for one day. And I'm going to spend the rest of the week trying to adapt what I was taught. And by the time I get to the next class, I will have still not quite figured it out. It still wouldn't have quite gotten there because it's not just natural to me yet. So what we do oftentimes, and this is, this is my fault and this is our fault, but is that we have teaching without application. We don't require application to teaching, so we don't grow. We just stagnate. And so we grow in knowledge, and so we think there's growth, but because we can talk better and we know more of the Bible, but we don't have more of its experience and the vitality of it at work in our lives. So now we put it in practice. What does it look like? Well, it looked differently because then we would have meetings where we'd sit down together and we'd say, how did, how did that look when you did it? Well, it failed. It didn't work very good. I, didn't, I still need to learn a few things. I'm going to keep working at this, and then we're going to support you behind it. But the idea is, is that we're actually adapting to it. So we need to think of it like that that our lives together is a concentrated effort over various areas of ministry for seasons. This season ended, we're going to start a new season because this is where God is at work in this situation. We will need to think more of our homes as places of ministry. I'm seeing that happen. Think of our homes as places of ministry. We also need to think about, do I need to make a home where I can make it ministry? Meaning that where, where I'm at right now, I can't do that. Or how do I do that? But the idea is, is that our home should be a base for being able to share the gospel and minister to the needs of the people around us. You and I all, all of us need somebody to encourage us along this path. But there's none of us that are going to get along all on our own. You let me by myself long enough and I'll find a way to fall. I'll find a way to dive down. I need your strength. I need your help. And it is a massive encouragement to me in ministry. And I see it happen to you guys as well. We need to determine if we will be the 20% church or refuse to fit the standard. The natural, the, what I've heard is that most churches operate on 20% do the work and 80% feed off of that. Now, I don't know what church I would say we are, but we need to determine which one we are. And I think that happens at an individual level. I am going to be part of those who are working behind the scenes of ministry. And I believe that that's where we impact the world. Because... The 20% just isn't big enough to feed us all. That's the idea. And I don't want to fit. I'm just going to say that. I believe we're not going to fit, we're not going to fit what they say we are. This is not going to be our church. not going to be our, our commitment toward one another. Here's the last thing I see in John chapter 13. The evidence of authentic discipleship is servanthood. And we read that 
in verses 4 and 5. We cannot let our brothers and sisters fall with the community that is. And the last thing we need is a church that is stingy and afraid to give to each other at the same time the world around us is. I can't do that because this is things are getting difficult in my life. And I understand the pressure of that. Believe me, I understand it. But we don't want to be a church like that. The more we build a resourceful community of believers, help and supply for one another, the more prepared we will be to face anything together. I just want to say that one more time. The more we build a resourceful community of believers, help and supply for one another, the more prepared we will be to face anything together. I just have to emphasize, it's so important, folks, that we look at, we are supplying for one another And the more we learn to be resourceful with one another, ask one another, you know things and you can do things that I can't, the better we're going to be prepared to face what's ahead and face life together in any circumstance. I am not asking for more money to come into this church. I'm not asking for more tithes and offerings as a a church thing. I'm asking that if we're going to put more money into this whole thing, we're going to put more of our effort and our resources Not just that, but our time, our heart into it. I'm not asking you to do it for the sake of this church or for the name or for this building. I'm praying that we will do it for the good of one another and for this community. Whatever we do, that we'll do that. And we will pray together. Don't just pray for the Lord to give me that vision. I want the Lord to do it as a group of people. And as as I hear you confirming the vision that same God has given me, we'll work together to do it. We'll work together to complete that. No matter what season of life you are in, servanthood is the way God provides for His people. Servanthood is not an escape from suffering. It provides the satisfaction of intrinsic virtues that harmonize with the Gospel. I'm a servant not because it stops, it keeps the, me from suffering because I did what God wanted me to do. I'm doing it because it harmonizes with the integrity of the Gospel. It doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter if I'm prospering or suffering. It's still that same thing. That provide what we need most in life while we suffer. Or while we go through whatever state of life we're in. This is why I'm a servant. I am a servant because I see it's at the heart of the gospel. Servanthood is... uh, So our physical needs would not be so traumatizing if we fulfilled our created purpose at the same time. Whatever our need is, if we were fulfilling our created purpose... We wouldn't be traumatized by it as not like we are. And no amount of pleasure on the other side of this will lend us the happiness we crave if our moral being is robbed of godly virtue. I don't care how blessed you are. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how much you have. I don't care how good off in life you are. If you don't have the godly virtues that Jesus had wanted us to have, you're robbed of everything that really has life's meaning. So here's my thought as we end this sermon today is let's commit to authentic discipleship marked by humility and love in action. Seek for God's immediate direction. I mean that right now. What, what is your direction for me in the moment? Don't let me hang there on the edge and have another day go by where I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know the next step that I need to take. I would say as I'm ending this service, ask God to help you with immediate direction. 
not later direction. I believe in goals for later on down life, but sometimes we just need for the moment. Next, let's pray deeply and intercede for it. As God gives you something in the direction to go, pray in that direction. Pray that the Lord's hand would bless it along your path. Don't just do it, but pray God's power and His blessing in the ministry that you're walking in. Lord, I never envisioned it being so great. I never saw it being so full of people so interested in what you're doing right now in my life and in our homes, any of that. But now begin to pray, Lord, how would I invest myself into this direction? And then lastly, I'm going to just say this. Bug me about doing it. Please, bug me about it. I may not have the solutions. I may not have the answers. But bug me about it and say, Pastor, this is what I would like to see. I may not know, and I'm say, and I'm going to tell you, when you do that, I'm going to say, it's got to collaborate with the team of those who are a part of the ministry. So then we have ministry meetings or people who are gathering and say, hey, I want to be a part of what God's doing here and, and everything to do with that. When I say, I'm not just, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to just move forward. I'm going to pray that this is the heart of those that I'm gathering with. If you're a part of this, then your heart is in it too. I'm not just doing it because it's James's idea. I'm doing it because God gave it to the rest of us. And I believe if we do ministry in this way and God ministers His Word through our lives, we'll be the body of Christ. There's nothing we can't conquer. But we can't do it on our own. You can't leave it to just a few people in ministry to do it. And I'm not telling you you are. Believe me, I'm not saying that this morning. I'm not saying anybody in this place is leaving it to others. Maybe you feel like that might be, then that's your message. But what I'm trying to say is, is that I'm compelling us as we're already gaining traction and sensing God's direction for one another and to love one another deeper than we have, to be there in ways that we never thought we could, for God to demonstrate His strength when we had no more strength. And we're investing ourselves in the work of love and the humility that it really takes to stay the course. Like I said last, last week about the men who are fighting in the field and defending it, you may be abandoned, but you're still going to stay the course. And I believe we're not going to be abandoned in this. I believe this church will not abandon one another in this day. I don't, I'm going to say it with the top of my voice because I believe in it with all my heart that you will not abandon your brother and your sister. You will not abandon your pastor and your pastor won't abandon you. We're going to stay this course together and I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what difficulties we may face, but I would rather face difficulties and learn the power of love then find a, a world that has no troubles at all and never know what it's like to be stronger and more motivated to love you in our day and age. And I mean it with all my heart because I, I want to fight for something. I want to be out in that field and I want to be knowing. I want to know you're not abandoning me and I'm not afraid or the threat of it. I'm not worried about what happened in other churches and I don't give a care about what I've seen happen in other churches because I believe in you guys. I believe in you guys. I believe no matter where, you are, where your struggles are, I believe I am intended to be a part of your life, invested in what you're struggling with to the point that we will find a solution for you. We're not going to let you die off on your own. We're not going to let you go off in the lonely crevices of darkness where the devil's going to defeat you. We're going to be there at, right beside you and be there for one another. I love it because I know, I know there's many of you that are making phone calls to others Pastor didn't get to you this week, but so-and-so did. Praise God! I am so blessed by when there's a reach out and there's a touch of others in the life 
And that's what's keeping and holding this church together. That's the dynamic of this body of people. And Jesus recommended it to his own disciples. And man, I'll tell you what. I loved, I'm going to go back to this one. I loved being able to be under this church. And I wouldn't care if it was under your house. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't like to be under houses. I will just be, I'll be plain about that. It is no joy to be underneath a house, especially some of my old, like my old house. But I'll tell you this. We were underneath the church and, and Troy, and I'm going to pick him out because he was there. And not because I can't pick out other situations for you. But I remember getting in there and we're diving in, and I barely have enough room to crawl between the dirt of the floor and the, the next joist underneath the floor. And I've done it for so much of my life, and men, you guys have been out there working and doing it too. And here I am with another brother doing it. And we're just digging with little bitty shovels and putting in a bucket and then putting in a bigger bucket and then carrying it outside just so that we can make room for this heating duct that was broken open a little bit so that we don't, we don't have to send the heat downstairs. Uh, I mean, underneath the, the, the church, we can send it into the church. How many of you like that, right? Amen. So while we're doing it, I'm just struck with this moment of humor and I told him, I said, well, now you can say you've got dirt on your pastor. But what I want to say is we share those moments with one another, and it's not just preaching moments. We share moments in life. I called, I called three, I think three or four different guys on Friday because I thought my project on Saturday was going to be too big for just a few of us that we had on, on T. And every one of them said, I'll do it. They didn't even know how much time they could give, but they said they would do it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm like saying when we're saying there's somebody in need that we'll say we'll do it. Not just the same person will always do it. We can, I want to say this. I want to say people who've been just doing, doing, doing. I want to tell them you don't need to do it. I want you to go take a break because somebody else said they'd do it. You know what I mean? Here we are. So I'm grateful for you folks. I'm so grateful for the way you're demonstrating love and kindness. And all I'm doing today, all I'm really doing is just saying, keep on doing it and keep asking God to inspire it more. Keep Him inspiring you more. None of you are off course. No, that's not where I'm getting at. I'm not trying to bring a conviction. I'm trying to bring an inspiration. And if you got convicted, well, then amen for that too. But here we are. Okay, now we're ready to move on because I believe the Lord wants to do something special. Now, Isaac here, after I'm done in a minute, he's going to... We're going to have some music that he's going to play in the background. It's great music for altar call time. Again, this is your time to pray and draw near to the Lord. I'm asking you to do it. Asking you to, Lord, what do we need to do together? Maybe the Lord's been moving on your heart. You've been thinking about something while I've been talking, and you know, I want, this is the next step. God just gave that to me. I love that. I'm saying, ask about it, and God's already given it. Whatever that next step is, I want you to take some time to pray about it before we dismiss to go downstairs. The food will be there. Right? And we're going to bless it. And I want when we go downstairs together to share some time together. Some wonderful, wonderful time. And then after that, I want a wonderful, wonderful business meeting. Thank you, guys. Thank you for sitting with me. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for hearing my heart. I love what God's doing here.